says, I love the word with a big heart on there. And um, we're going to get to a couple of places through 1 Corinthians 15. So Keith uh, was up here last week, and he shared about some stuff, which I want to kind of piggyback on a little bit. Um, He uh, talked about some key things, so I wanted to make sure that we looked at a couple of those things. And so here's what we're going to start off with. Steve, did you find that slide with the eye, the heart, and the church there? See if he finds it. Only one on there. Tried to make it easy. There we go. I love the word. Um, that should be like the next CC Augie t-shirt, you know, maybe that on there, and then maybe put our logo like on the back or something somewhere, but I like that. Um, so, here's the idea, and this will make more sense as we finish up. I want to encourage you and encourage myself, okay, so is, and every Sunday is always about the Spirit ministering to you and to myself, happens all the time, all the time. And so sometimes you guys share with me and tell me, hey, I had to listen to that two or three times and go through things. I, I'm exactly the same way. I'm like, oh, wow, like, that came out in an interesting way. That, that was not how I typically talk or do things. So then I have to sit on that and listen to that and like, go back to it and look back at notes. And so God does that stuff. And that all comes out of his word. So I'll give you a phrase. Um, the phrase, which will make more sense later, is don't get stuck. Bless you. That's not the phrase. Don't get stuck in a paragraph. Don't, actually, you know what? I should change it. Don't get stuck in a sentence. Say that to somebody next to you. (laughs) Don't get stuck in a sentence. That sounds random and bizarre. I know. It has a point. I promise you. Don't get stuck in a sentence. And we're going to come back to that. Okay. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's writing. Here we go. Uh, Now, brothers and sisters, they're there too. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So Paul's saying, hey, listen. We just talked about in the previous chapters, 1 Corinthians 14, 13, 12, going back to 11. He's been talking and we have been talking about this spirit-filled life. Everybody say spirit-filled. Spirit-filled life. And then the spirit-filled church. He's been, and he's been talking about all kinds of things. He has been talking about words of knowledge for people. He has been talking about prophetic words, prophesying. He's been talking about tongues. Uh, He's been talking about all kinds of things that don't come natural, normal to us. They're just given by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the temptation for us can be to just get really caught up in that and reduce the Christian faith just to like supernatural workings and movings. And as we read, it's a part of the faith. It's real. And it's God's desire, not like his wish, it's a desire that actually we live in that stuff and we function with it and we have experiences. But it's not his desire for the entire Christian faith to be reduced down to supernatural things occurring. So if we go through a season of life and we don't notice a lot of supernatural things happening to us or around us, it shouldn't shake us. Because at the end of the day, it was always about 
us being in relationship to Jesus Christ and the foundational truths. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, brothers, we just talked about all this stuff, saying, hey, listen, don't lose sight of the basics, the gospel I preached to you. What was the gospel that he preached to them? He preached to them that Jesus Christ was God incarnate. That if you believe in him, give your life over to God. That number one, he will forgive us for every sin that we have ever committed, have committed. It's forgiven. It's done. It no longer separates us. We can now live in a relationship with God. And we are told that we are given an eternity with God. So it's dual fold. If we submit, we accept Jesus Christ, Jesus paid it all, right? We just sang it. So if we accept that, we believe that, and the way that we show we believe it is we actually live that out in faith. So we live a life in such a way to where it's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I did do these sins. I do have these sins. I'm still struggling with current sins. But I have a Savior who's forgiven me for them. That doesn't mean I can just ignore them, but it does mean it don't count against me anymore. And maybe because of those sins, like there's issues and there's like, there's character things that need to be worked out. There's disciplines in my life that aren't quite straight yet that need to be. So even though freedom has been paid for and it's been inherited to us, for all of us, including myself, ultimate total freedom where the flesh has no reign or dominion has not yet occurred. We're in process. And some of us are in different places. But it never negates the fact that there was a freedom found in Jesus Christ where he set us free completely and totally. But it's up to us, the Christian, to actually believe that and walk in that and then fill our minds with that truth and consciously keep ourselves around that. That's where the struggle is. But Paul's saying, this is the gospel I brought to you. That there's salvation, that there's hope, that there's eternal life in Jesus Christ. And he says we should take our stand in it. And he says, by this gospel, we are saved. If we hold firmly to it, we're good. Otherwise, we just believe in vain. So there's some people that just maybe want to say a prayer one day and then forget everything. Man, that's, that's a dangerous way to live. I don't want any part of that. The Christian gospel is never intended to be just reduced down to a, a prayer in time. It's supposed to be reduced down to a transformed life. Somebody becoming what they just received. Amen, Pastor Jared. Amen. Yes. It's about us becoming what we have received. It's good and it's beautiful and it's wonderful to come to a place where we receive the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's amazing. And it doesn't even make any sense. It's like, wow, would he do that? I don't even, don't even think about the why. Just receive it. And then the next calling for us is not just to absorb it and sponge it up, but to actually then be like a channel and a conduit for how he wants to do that to those around us. That's next level Christianity. So then verse 3. For I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures... Say scriptures. Okay, we're going to get there. That he was buried. Say buried. 
that he was raised, say raised, on the third day, say third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. How does he do that? I don't know. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep or have died or passed away. Then he appeared to James, which that would be Jesus' brother. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So I just want to break down just a couple of things today just to equip you with. All right? Uh, one is, Paul makes this reference. He said, and we repeated, that, Jesus, that Christ died for our sins according to the what? And then he said he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the... Okay. How many people know? He talked about this last week. How many people know that Paul did not have the scriptures like we have them? He had the Old Testament and and really parts of the Old Testament. We have this whole amazing... That's why I say I love the word. We got the whole thing. We got like the whole story. It's nice to be able to be like... Ah, like, we're not, like, in the middle of, like, part of this. We got the whole thing. So we can go back and we can see how the whole story, history, his story, because that's what it's all about, his story, we see how it all plays out. We have a tremendous advantage over guys like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all these guys, they, they were living in the middle of it. But we see how it all pans out. And how amazing God just wove in these intricacies along the way. So what Paul says, he says, according to the scriptures. So really, according to the scriptures, it says that Christ died for our sins, that he'd be buried, and that he'd be raised on the third day. That begs the question. For the Christian, for the Christ follower, that begs the question of, Well, where exactly in the Old Testament does it say that? Where is that? Okay, Paul, that's great. And then I'm also just read on. Okay, yep, yep. But there's something interesting and there's something very helpful about knowing where it is in the Old Testament and, and like why. There's a why behind this. What was that phrase I told you not to forget? (laughs) <laughs> this is the special group on Sunday. Right? Don't get stuck in a sentence. Right? That, was our, that was our thing. So we're going to come back to that, I promise you. But there's tremendous value in knowing where it is in the Old Testament, like that helps, and, and knowing like the context of it, because it helps build upon the why. And it gives us a greater appreciation of, man, just loving the Word and who God is, and it reveals His character and His nature. It's amazing. All right. So I just want to dig in a little bit and just give you a couple of passages of where this stuff is. Sound good? Okay. Sounds good to one person, so we will do it. All right. Let's go to Psalm 22. Old Testament. And we are looking for something that says something about Jesus, right, paying a price, dying for our sins. We'll get to the resurrection and that stuff in a minute. Where does it say... That there's going to be a Messiah 
or give reference to somebody who's going to suffer and die for our sins. Psalm 22. Let's take a look. Old Testament. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing. So I'm going to read you a couple of things. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just stop right there. Ooh, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a ooh. Because if, if you remember anything about, and if you don't, that's okay. Just brush up on it later. One of the things that Jesus said on the cross, you know, I was listening to Keith's message uh, this past week, and he's, you know, doing this Sweet Home Alabama thing, and, you know, this, how'd you guys sing and stuff, and, okay. Um, I get what he's saying. What he's saying is there was something that they knew about, and Jesus was repeating it, just like we would know about Sweet Home Alabama and these other familiar songs. On the cross, Jesus was quoting something they would know about. They, they knew their Old Testament. They knew Psalm 22. So he was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They were like, oh, wait, that's like in the psalm somewhere. I, I don't remember where, but like somebody said that. He's intentionally choosing those words. Uh, why, are, why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Um, we're going to go down a little bit. Verse 6. Keith shared some really interesting insight on the verse 6 here with the worm thing, but we won't do that today, but that was pretty neat what he said. He says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl, hurl insults, shaking their heads. Like, that's kind of familiar scene. He's at the cross. All they did was mock him. They spit on him. They hit him. Then they started gambling for his clothes to see who would get it. Um, then they covered him up, and they were like, hit him during his trial part. They covered him up and hit him. They like, prophesy who hit you last and who's going to hit you next, and just making fun of him. Um, and what was the other one I wanted to show you? I think it was mainly those two. All right, so here's the other passage. So maybe it's not totally convincing that within Psalm 22 that, well, I guess maybe that points to somebody that could happen to them later. A stronger one in the Old Testament, or maybe more one that's more complimentary, will be Isaiah. So we'll turn there. So Isaiah 52. We're going to go there. So turn there. That's kind of in the middle of the Bible. If you're not quite sure... You can look at your table of contents. That's, that's legal. It's all right. You're not like a worse person for that. Some people are like, I can't look at my table of contents. I'm like a bad Christian. It's fine. It's fine. You got to figure out where it is. Psalm 52. Sorry, Isaiah. Thank you. Because we're just in Psalms, and so I'm, spe- I'm special too. Yeah. Yeah, making sure you're paying, paying attention. It's a test. It's always a test. All right. So let's, uh, so Psalm, Psalm, Isaiah 52, verse 12. It really starts there. And then it carries through all of chapter 53. And it gets nuts. I'm going to skip to 53 here. And um, actually, uh, Isaiah 52, verse 14. It says, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. 
uh, there was only one person ever of all time that was ever said about. And that exact language was used in the New Testament about Jesus himself, that his face was so marred and so disfigured that he couldn't even be recognized. Um, And that was after the floggings and the beatings. And obviously, that's like a really sad thing, right? I mean, it's crazy to think that somebody could be beaten that bad and they're not even recognizable. Um, Isaiah 53, verse 2 Uh, It says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Again, Jesus, it was told about Jesus in the Gospels that there was nothing appearance-wise about him that would really draw anybody to him. He wasn't like incredibly handsome, you know, super good-looking, Unbelievably talented. You know, there was nothing really... It was just kind of normal. Just sort of average. Nothing about him really stood out. Which is interesting. So many times, us as individuals, we're constantly looking for, how can I stand out? How can I be significant? How can I... It's interesting, right? I love how the creator of the universe, who literally created the people he's around, it's like, yeah, I don't need to stick out and show it. This is not... It's not what it's about right now. It's interesting. He knew who he was. And it was also said of him in the Gospels that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, a man with suffering. That's just what he was known for. He was known for being around people that were hurting. He understood. He got it. He didn't be around people that were hurting and give them a guilt trip like, ah, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be acting like that. You shouldn't be feeling that way. You know what the truth is. Don't cry about that. Suck it up, buttercup. Like, th- that wasn't a part of his vocabulary. It wasn't part of his nature. So when his friends had Lazarus who died, he shows up on the scene and he knows he's going to rise him from the dead. He, he knows who they are and who that family is. They mean a lot to him. But he gets there and they're just grieving and just heartbroken so much. He's not like, well, don't worry about it. We'll be fine. You really shouldn't be crying. You should really just believe in me. Just trust me. He's not harsh. He just cries with them. Um, does he cry because he doesn't know what he's going to do? No, he knows what he's going to do. What moves his heart? And it says in John, his heart was moved to compassion. He's just, ah, oh, man, they're so heartbroken. And sometimes you get around people in situations in life, maybe for whatever reason, you might feel that something's going to work out and it's going to be okay. And a lot of times, somebody doesn't want to hear that. They just want you just to relate to their pain for them for a little bit. It doesn't mean that you're going to enable them to stay in that pain forever and just always be depressed. It just means, hey, you mean a lot to me. I understand the situation. Let's just come alongside and maybe I'll just be quiet for a while. I'll just give you a hug or whatever. There's a certain element of that compassion in Jesus' life that he modeled really well um, that doesn't come natural to a lot of us. And the Spirit comes in and resides and takes over. It starts to come out of our life in a greater degree. Verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. 
all this stuff kind of sound familiar? And it sounds familiar because you hear it later on in the New Testament. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or sin of us all. And it's just crazy. You just read through the whole rest of it. Wow. God literally laid out the entire story of what needed to happen to this Messiah, to this Jesus. So when Paul says in the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures, that's what he's talking about. And those are just a couple of examples. We don't have time to go through all of them because there's a lot. But those are just kind of a couple of highlights that are usually popular ones to look at. So those two passages really point to Christ's death and his suffering. I think we'd all agree on that, right? Okay. The other part of Scripture is that uh, Paul talked about, he said, listen, on the third day, he's going to rise. Where does it say that in the Old Testament? That is a good question. (laughs) That's harder to come by. Um, Here's what Jesus did say in response. Look at Matthew. I know we're doing a little bit of flipping, but you guys are okay with that, I think. Nobody's fingers hurt, right? If not, have your neighbor do it for you. Matthew 12. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 39. Verse 38. We'll do that. Uh, It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. They just wanted a show. So Jesus, like, he doesn't like to do shows. That's not what he does. Verse 39. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, or they asked for a show. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So that's interesting. And we're going to look at one other thing. So where in the Old Testament does it talk about this Messiah or Savior that's going to come later and he needs to uh, die and then rise again on the three days, on the third day? The very short, quick answer is it doesn't specifically and explicitly say it anywhere. What it does do in the Old Testament is it models and it illustrates this third day resurrection. So Jesus, right away, he says, hey, listen, here's what's going to happen. You remember the whole thing with Jonah and the whale? And what's very interesting is like people who are like not, they want to take shots at Christianity. They don't believe it. You know, they don't like it. They, they have issues with it. There's some that are sincere and they're battling their way through. You can work with that. There are some that just want to create problems and be negative and just start a fight. You can't get anywhere with that. So for those typically that want to be negative and start a fight, they're like, listen, there is no whale or giant fish that's swimming that eats a person, they hang out in there, the fish throws them up. That's like, you a grown adult, you believe that happens. And then, yeah, exactly. And then they'll follow it up and they say, so you, a grown adult, you're going to believe that a snake was talking. And that set the stage for, you believe this. Right? And, and that's like the posture and the way that they will talk. What's very interesting to me is that, I mean, listen, they are outlandish stories. 
Some parts of Christianity are borderline fantasy. It's like, wow, jeez. Okay. Like, like, it's fun to talk about with my boys right now when they're three and five. Uh, it's not going to be so easy when they're 18. <laughs> like, Dad, come on. A fish? Dad. Well. <laughs> and what Jesus does, he says, listen, my proof of me about to rise from the dead that this is supposed to happen the proof of it, it's going to be in that ridiculous story that everybody says ridiculous. That's actually going to be the illustration, the confirmation of how it's going to go down. Just like that. So just as a fish swallowed this guy, spit him out three days later, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth and then after that I'm going to rise. It's very interesting Jesus would pick that particular example to show and give evidence for his resurrection. The one that's like borderline pretty ridiculous so honestly what it does for me as a believer is I believe the Jonah story if that's Jesus' reference mark for his resurrection and how it's going to go down for him to die and him to rise I believe in a big fish he ate a guy I don't know how but that's what happened some of this stuff takes faith it just does not everything's airtight perfectly logical much of it is some of it is not Here's one other one, Genesis. And this is the kind of we're gonna go, where we're going to land. Uh, Genesis 22. So all the way back to the beginning. What was that phrase I told you not to forget? Yeah, you guys are getting better. Get stuck in a sentence. Don't get stuck in a sentence. Okay, Genesis uh, 22 and verse 2. Actually, you know what? We're going to pick up in verse 1. And we're going to read a little bit of this here. So sometime later, God tested. Sometimes God does bring tests. That happens. Um, he's not really one that wants to uh, bring a lot of temptation. But he's allowing to have testing come in. Uh, mainly for the purpose of it helps to refine our faith and build our character. So if you're ever curious or stuck on that, because sometimes when you're in it, you can't really see it for what it is. You're just very frustrated it's happening and you just want it to be over. The truth of the situation is, much of it is done to refine our faith and build our character. So sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, Here I am, he said. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so so if I'm Abraham, that's probably like one point in time where I'm like, I regret so much saying, here I am. (laughs) Like, what did you say? You know, like, I didn't really hear you. That's just an ab. Listen, that is so ludicrous and ridiculous, unbiblical, illogical, and wrong. Because everywhere through the Word, God has made it very clear, super abundantly crystal clear, He is not a God who desires physical sacrifice to please Him. 
So then he says, hey, sacrifice your son. I mean, just, just pause. What in the world? And then let me follow this up with, listen. It's not going to be out of bounds or, or odd for God maybe to place something in our hearts or have us in a situation in life that seems completely unbiblical, super illogical, and it doesn't seem at all to line up with what we know about God. It won't be uncommon for us to be in those positions because he loves us, not necessarily because we did something wrong. could be the case we did something wrong. But I'm talking for the ones, don't just be shaken and shook and confused and floundering because we happen to be in a season where it's like, everything I, I know, I think I know about God, it's like not happening or developing. What was that phrase? Don't get stuck on that sentence. All right, here we go. So glad it doesn't end after that sentence in verse 2. Don't get stuck in a sentence. There we go. All right. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So God even, you know, told him where to go. On the, what day is that? What day is that? Third day. How many sons did he have? One. And so that's interesting. And he's looking to do what with that one son? He's looking to make him be a, starts with an S, sacrifice. Oh, so, oh, okay. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while he, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I want you to circle and underline verse 5. We're gonna, we're, I'm going to come back. Circle it, underline it. Don't forget it. It's very important. Okay, verse 6. Abraham took the wood uh, for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. And he carried himself, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac, sp- Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Ab- Abraham, father. Yes, my son. And the idea is that Isaac is typically like a teenager about this time. So maybe around Sadie's age. Something like that. You just were walking, so it worked. Uh, so he said, yes, my son. So you got this teenager being like, hey, we're going to go give a sacrifice. And we got, uh, you know, a wood. And yeah, what, uh, we're missing the sacrifice, but we're going to go give one. So, Dad, where, where is it? Um, <laughs> Abraham replies, yes, my son. Yeah. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Like, if we're going to do a sacrifice, like, it's with animals, and we don't have one. Verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. That, that's a tricky answer. That's his answer. His answer is, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Uh, we don't think about, a, like, of the Lamb of God. Do we know anything about that? Jesus being the Lamb of God. and Yeah, that's interesting, right? Uh, and the two of them went on together. Then they reached the place God had told him about. 
Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. So now, obviously, Isaac's getting this, and he's like, I, there's like a part of me that doesn't want to picture this, but then there's a part of me that does. Like, I don't want to picture this scenario. I, I just I, I just don't. But then there's another part that's like, I kind of do. I don't know. Kind of out of tension there. I, you know, I, I don't know. Laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. He's good at saying that. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Pretty interesting, right? At least in this particular test. It was about, which we just talked about before, refining faith, building character. In this particular example, it was, it was heavily about his faith. Because they have waited on that son for a really long time. And that was the one miraculous son that they got, that they prayed for. And then they got it. And then God said, yeah, now kill him. So God knew that because they got what they prayed for and got what they wanted, God knew that that could get in the way of what God wanted to do through Abraham later. So the blessing that he, they asked for, that he wanted to give, he gave, but he knew it could be a problem. I hope you hear me on this. I hope you hear that God has put things in your heart things in your mind, things in your life that you want, that you desire, that like you're not okay with it not happening. You really want to see it. He's put that desire there. I want to encourage you to keep asking for that, keep praying for that. For two reasons. Uh, One, it's going to help you better align that with God's plan. And number two, if it truly is part of what He wants to do, He's going to provide that for you. The other truth of the situation is it doesn't end when we get what we want. It doesn't end when we get what we so badly wanted. That was just to build a process for something greater he wants to do later. So if we get stuck with, I want, I want it, God, please, and then he miraculously does it, We can't be so wrapped up in the miraculous that happens. We have to come with the realization of he's the source that gave it. And it's really easy to get that twisted if we actually get what we so badly wanted. So Abraham looked up and there in the thickets he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Pause. Did you know? So we got this situation developing here. We got a son, we got a sacrifice. Um, we have an only son, right? And we have a sacrifice. And 
we have this phrase at the end where it says, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Did you know that when Jesus himself was crucified on a mount, it was also Mount Moriah where, you guessed it, Abraham and Isaac had this very situation happen. So, in other words, a thousand or so years previous, God had said, I don't want Isaac. I will take that lamb. And then he also said, on this mount, it will be provided. So, God had it all set up, figured out from the very beginning in Genesis of what he was going to do, how he's going to provide. It was already set in motion. But other things, through his word, through his story, through the Bible, it all had to play out and go a particular way that God saw fit. But it's interesting that he made a declaration statement, say declaration, and prophetic, say prophetic. A declaration statement that was prophetic said, listen, on this mount, I will provide. Was it in the exact same to the mile location? Probably not. But it was right in the same exact area. And also in that area, Solomon's temple was built. So you take all of this and you put it together and then Paul says, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. This is making a lot more sense. And it makes a lot more sense because it unveils the story, the volume that was being put together. So the encouragement for us in knowing that, one, it helps to know our words and it helps to know where it is. But if you stop there, it just makes you smarter and more educated and that doesn't really help anybody. It's good to be smart and educated. Don't get that wrong. I hope you get more biblically literate and more educated and you get smarter about it. But just don't stop there. We want to have the Spirit breathe life into that thing. Where the Spirit breathes life, I hope, and I hope He brings encouragement to this because this is kind of what I had on my heart. What's the phrase not to forget? There we go. Don't get stuck in a sentence. So for many of us, myself included, just even this week, Your life, my life, our lives. Right? So just go your particular life, my individual life. There is an entire story that's going to be written. Actually, the truth of the matter is, there's a whole story that God himself wants to write through our lives. He's saying, hey, listen, there's a volume of life. You can live on your own terms and do your own way. It goes no place good. It's separate from me. I can't uphold you. No glory will be brought to me. And in the end you're going to be lost and probably hell awaits. That's the truth of the situation. There's another situation in life where there's another story where God says, listen, you abide in me. You live from my strength. You keep your words in my heart. You stay close to me. There's a story that I want to write through your life that has my specific plans, that has my goals in place, And all along the way, you will learn nothing but my provision, my peace, my glory, and about how secure you really are as long as you stay in this story. 
Amen. Thank you, because that's true. It's just like I could cry over that. It's unbelievable. So, so many of us, right, what we do is we get just like stuck in a sentence. So just like this week, I was just stuck in a sentence of stuff. So I was just like crying out to the Lord, just like, God, what the, you know, and you just fill in the blank, all kinds of stuff. I could come up with all kinds of reasons to be stuck in my sentence. All kinds of reasons. But that's not the truth of the situation. The truth of the situation is there's a sentence that will lead to a paragraph, that will lead to a page, that will lead to a chapter, that will lead to a book, that will lead to volumes. And so, yeah, it's true. I want to forget this chapter. Like, let's not do this chapter. But the reality is, God's saying, no, like, we we have to do. This is a necessary chapter we have to do. And the good news is what we know that there's an entire story to be written and that he's composing it, thank God. When he is composing the entire volume, it gives great hope to that hopeless sentence. Man, this story of Jesus Christ and the Messiah coming and salvation happening, it's unbelievable how it plays out when... when People actually choose to read this and invest themselves into this on purpose. It's, it's like, it's so ridiculous and so obvious what God had planned. And it shows up everywhere. Literally everywhere. And it's true about our lives. He wants to show himself everywhere to his children through their lives. That's his desire. That's the plan. The plan is not to get us to just grit our teeth and bear it and just hope we make it through. The plan is greater and the plan is bigger. So the encouragement for us is, man, let's not get stuck in a sentence. Let's just not. It's just a sentence. In fact, what we should be doing, and even what I need to do, I mean, the Lord really spoke to my heart on later on after that kind of whole session with him. I don't even know if we're done with that session. I feel like there's still some stuff there he's got to work out. But something that he definitely connected to my heart on, he's like, listen, you need a solid word from me that'll help carry you through this sentence. And I don't feel like I quite have it yet. I feel like I kind of like maybe have pieces of it, but it's not really quite there. So I'm going to wrestle with him on that. And we're still going to talk about that, but it's by no means done. So many times to get through the rest of that sentence, we need a solid encounter and word from the Lord and say, all right, Lord, this is what you said. This is what you're going to do. Fine. Then this is what we're doing. Those moments have to happen. And the reality is in the Christian life, it happens thousands of times, millions of times, if we let it. And the other truth of, the, of that is it gets way easier as time goes on. And the, Maybe the first hundred, or depending upon how stubborn you are, I don't know how stubborn you are, I don't know how much you procrastinate, but the first hundred, or maybe depending upon how you are, first thousands of times, it's very difficult, because there's always fighting, there's always like negotiating with God, and it's always like, I don't really feel like doing that right now, it's like, all right, okay, okay, fine, then we don't feel like it now but eventually we're going to do this. (laughs) It's going to happen. 
And it might be more difficult later. Because what happens is if we boil down the Christian life to like just doing things and being obedient when we feel like it, we get left to a Christianity to where it's just, it's on our terms. I'm the, I'm the pilot. I'm in charge. And so I'm ready, when I'm ready, we will do it. And when I'm not, well, we won't. And God's like, no, 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 no. I am your savior. I am your king. Trust me, I am in control. I know you want to be, you could be the co-pilot. But listen, I am in charge. I am in control. And there's always that battle going on. And that's why there's tremendous freedom. That's why one of the things that I love to do that, I'm glad there's biblical basis for it, what during worship time and even prayer time, the Bible says, lift your hands in prayer. It says, um, uh, pray with your hands raised. And it says, it, especially all through Psalms. I just love being able to do that because then that uh, shows that it's just like a sign of surrender. It's like, Lord, ah, no, like, no, I, I'm surrendering. I forget what song it was. But even like uh, this morning, just the lyrics there, it's just all about that's it. I'm just giving it to you right now. We're going to close up service with that same song. Um, but it's all about, Lord, this is yours right now. I am yours. This is your life, Father. On your terms, the way you want to do it. I don't want to get stuck in this sentence of life. I don't even want to be here any longer. So what do we have to do to get out of it? And an authentic, transparent heart that cries out like that, like that to the Lord, that is a Christian brother or sister that's going to go a very long way. It's a Christian life that, that just it won't lead to being stale, dry, and just stuck in a rut for a long time. So let's not get stuck in a sentence. It's a whole story coming, a volume. And it's got to start with Jesus Christ at the center of it. So before, Steve, just cue that song, have it ready. We're going to pray first until we um, sing it. Uh, so just really quickly, you could, if you could just bow your head and close your eyes. Um, maybe, I have no idea, but maybe uh, there's um, a person or some people today, I have no idea. Um, they have never, ever started um, their life story with uh, Jesus Christ at the center, saying they're submitted, they want to follow God. Because uh, it's got to start there. I mean, there's, the whole story starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if that relationship has never started, you never really fully surrendered, and you want to actually do that today and start the story now, and I'm not talking about you know, trying to get your relationship back on track. I'm talking about you've never even started. Um, just look up and look at me. You've never even got the relationship part started. You've never gotten it started. Just look at, just look at me if you never got it started. All right. All right, good, good. So, Father, we're all here, Lord, and we don't want to get stuck in a sentence, Father. We don't want to have tunnel vision on just our own lives and what's happening. We greatly desire to have you build your story in our lives. And Father, if there's not a great desire there, Lord, I pray that people would be honest about that and share that with you and talk about that with you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that